Mark Mersman of Offset Energy Partners. Welcome to Hemp Errands, and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Joy. A pleasure to be here, honored and uh, excited about the conversation. We're so glad to have you. Now, you and I have met each other uh, some time ago, but just recently reunited uh, in Montana at the IND uh, Montana Hemp Summer Summit, uh, which was just a fantastic event with a fairly exclusive list of invitees uh, from around the nation, various hemp leaders, um, and was so happy to see you there because what you are working on with Offset Energy Partners is fascinating to me and so, so important to our country, to our biosphere, and to the planet. And I'm going to let you take it away, brother, but just to frame it up, we have thousands and thousands. Actually, I think it may be millions. I don't want to get ahead of my skis here. I've just read several articles since last we spoke of abandoned oil wells in the United States, uh, certainly throughout the world, but just speaking to the United States, these abandoned oil wells, which nobody has responsibility for anymore. Nobody owns them. It becomes the state and the nation and the planet's burden as these oil wells off gas tremendous amounts of methane into the environment. With that set up, sir, please explain to us why Offset Energy Partners is so important in filling this need. Filling this need. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Uh-huh. Uh, very good setup, Joy. Um, <laughs> we are part of a bigger movement that is just now realizing and awakening to the fact that we have, as you just mentioned, literally over estimates are over 3 million wells that are just lost in our farm fields, in our ranch lands, all across the country where there is production from oil and gas. So these are wells that have traditionally been drilled, you know, 50 to 100 years ago, long past their economic viability. More importantly, to your point, long past any ownership or responsibility tied to the plugging of these orphaned wells. So who owns them now is actually us as citizens. The states of these producing states are the ones now responsible for plugging these orphaned wells that have been left behind from just the gyration, the ebb and flow of the markets in the oil and gas industry. There is a lot of up and downs and there's a lot of bankruptcies, unfortunately. And what we're struggling with as a nation in handling this issue now is how to fund this plugging obligation. And more importantly, and as urgently as ever, on the heels of the IPCC report, just showing how important methane is to start emitting or or limiting those emissions. And I don't think there's very many people that are aware of the fact that these wells are literally, in many instances, fuming off thousands of metric tons of methane per year, if not weekly or monthly. So some of these are really super emitters. All of this came about for OEP and how I'm involved with it now. I was in the oil and gas industry for a good little while, uh, about 10 years or so, uh, on the mineral and royalties acquisition side. So I didn't really do the drilling, but certainly uh, benefited from the revenues generated to the landowners from the royalties off of the production that was coming. So new production, understood the industry and stayed involved with it for a little while. I've been in the hemp and cannabis industry for now about six years. And all the while I had ideas and beliefs that, you know what, there's definitely applications for hemp in the oil and gas industry at some point. 
September of last year, I hear a recording of an interview by uh, Curtis Shuck with the Well Done Foundation. And the Well Done Foundation is out there now for 18 months, almost two years, identifying, wow, these orphan wells are emitting immense amounts of methane. And they've been working with, to begin with, Montana and the state regulating bodies to approve their adoption of these orphaned wells so that that financial obligation that is currently on the state's books is moved over to his foundation, again, the Well Done Foundation. They'll take responsibility for plugging that well. And what he's been able to develop, seeing how the budget shortfalls are such a problem in each of the states, this is before certainly we have the infrastructure bill that has been passed now by the Senate. So that's can touch on that in a second, what that means for this industry and this opportunity. But what Curtis saw was, hey, these carbon markets are really coming about. And with methane being the predominant emission here and the equivalency to CO2, these things are emitting an immense amount of CO2E metric ton equivalent on an annualized basis. And wow, we've got this carbon market that's evolving right now, emerging more significantly. And what if we could finance the plugging of these wells by monetizing the carbon that we are avoiding effectively by plugging these wells that are emitting. And sure enough, that's what he's been doing. He's been working with the American Carbon Registry now for about 18 months. We've got a methodology that's in public review. He has plugged uh, numerous wells. We have operations in Montana, Louisiana about to kick off. I'm going down there literally tomorrow morning. And we've got Pennsylvania, Kansas, Kentucky, we're lining up some operations and opportunities in, in every major basin. So Texas is a big play as well. So I'm just going to kind of stop there for a minute. That doesn't really get to what OEP is doing in all this, but it speaks to this orphan well problem and that Well Done is addressing it in a great way. And there'll be an awful lot more companies just like Well Done pursuing this in a commercial manner that I think hopefully really does allow us to, as a nation, get these wells plugged quicker than can be. Absolutely. And and there's a lot to unpack. And that was actually a really wonderful sort of broad brush of what's happening here, even though folks are probably going, Where, where's the hemp in this? We are going to get to that, listeners. We are going to get to that. Hemp has a very important role in the plugging of these orphaned wells. A couple of things, um, just as we get our dictionary straight with our acronyms, when we hear Mark talk about OEP, he's talking about Offset Energy Partners, which works in conjunction with the Well Done Foundation. You mentioned one other um, uh, acronym, IPC Report. Would you mind telling us what that is? Uh, the IPCC report was just... Well, uh, IPCC, sorry, got it. I apologize, yes. So, um, Oh, when I said CC, you're talking about the United Nations, essentially. Yeah, the inter, 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 how is that? Intergovernmental policy... Panel. Yeah, panel, yeah. So you know the acronym better than I do, but nonetheless. Thank you. No, that's the, uh, the intergovernmental panel on climate change. Um, and that is the NRDC, though. I may actually be uh, misspeaking here, associating it uh, with the United Nations when it's really uh, the NRDC. And we will get to that uh, acronym in a second here. Um, what I want to ask you about, first of all, is can we explain to the listeners why methane is bad, why methane is contributing, really accelerating uh, climate change and contributing to those, to those effects? Uh, I am no scientist, 
but I'll take a stab at this to some degree. What we know is methane is a multiple, and that is debatable. How many more times uh, harmful in greenhouse gas attributes than just CO2? So carbon dioxide is harmful. It, it is a greenhouse gas, but methane more so has uh, much more heat uh, trapping capability. And it's for that reason that we really are now keying in on if we can eliminate the methane at upwards of 100x more heat trapping than CO2e. And again, that's that's not my bailiwick or wheelhouse. I rely on other folks that know a lot more than I do in that regard. So, uh, But methane is a critical piece to this. That's where uh, we're addressing how we're um, minimizing methane and CO2 emissions with looking at big ag and, and so many other attributes of, of different industries that contribute uh, CO2e and have uh, super emitter status. So if we can really focus on the methane within the overall category, then we might have a bigger, quicker impact on uh, helping our planet heal than uh, if just going after CO2 and taking a car off the road. Absolutely. I mean, what it, what most reports say, and, and you said 100, it looks like it's anywhere between 80 to 90 potentially, but 86 is what Earth Justice is telling us here, time, mm. that methane traps 86 times more heat in the atmosphere than CO2, and that nearly 20% of the planet's warming can be attributed to methane. So when we talk about this, these millions of holes that are literally just spewing methane completely unchecked freely into the atmosphere. This is a, a major crisis um, and one that I'm so happy to know the Well Done Foundation is working on in conjunction with your work at Offset Energy Partners. Now, before we get into, um, and by the way, that uh, NRDC which is responsible for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, is the Natural Resources Defense Council, um, which was founded in 1970 by a group of law students and attorneys on the forefront of the environmental movement. Um, let's talk about how hemp is involved in the plugging of these wells, and then I'd love to unpack further and certainly address the infrastructure bill, brother. But why don't you explain to us how hemp is, is incorporated into this plugging and your excitement around what you've discovered in the in sort of the R&D as you've explored this and, in fact, plugged a hole. We have done a few pilots. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so what we saw being uh, myself and Curtis as he was uh, really honing the methodology and trying to minimize the footprint of every plug job that we do in order to maximize the carbon offsets that we could create, um, the conversation of how we can displace the cement uh, was one aspect of it. But then also there's a very common material used in oil and gas drilling. It's called lost circulation material. It is like rebar in cement, giving the cement uh, something to grab a hold of, if you will, in uh, these cementing jobs. So if you can envision the geology opening up and there's cracks and uh, you're pouring cement down a hole, but it just keeps going down another hole and you're wondering why you can't see it filling up. Well, that's because there is a big hole. And if you can't get your cement to set quick enough, it'll just keep pouring down that hole. So lost circulation material is really important in the industry. And in particular, in plugging these older wells, they literally used to use nitroglycerin in a big tube and they'd throw it down the bottom of the hole and they'd blow it up. So in these older wells, there could be enormous areas of 
open space in the geologic formation that we have to fill up. And that could require then upwards of 10 to 20 tons of, of cement. Well, we use Portland cement. Portland cement is approved by the American Petroleum Institute. There's seven different types of Portland cement that are approved, and that's what the industry has to use in plugging their wells. So with that, what can we do to minimize that carbon footprint? For every ton of Portland cement manufactured, there's about a ton of CO2E emitted. So concrete and, and I'll just step is, in because yeah. it's it's such a piece of of our hempcrete story um, yes, of any yes. story that's using, of course, cement. And the reality is Portland cement on average needs to be heated. We're talking about limestone. That's where it starts. It's quarried needs to be heated to 3000 degrees. Imagine the carbon footprint, obviously, of heating this limestone to 3000 degrees. And we won't have a hempcrete conversation here where I compare the fact that the lime we use in hempcrete only needs to be heated to about 900 degrees. But the bottom line is a massive carbon footprint in creating uh, that that Portland cement. And and now, please, thank you for letting me interrupt. Continue, no, sir. No, that's, that's a, a critical part to all this. And you see the cement industry is really trying to make moves. But yeah, hempcrete is a, a, a wonderful path that I think we can be incorporating in a lot of different ways not just in the oil and gas industry, but across the country and all different types of industry, of course. But so what what we're doing, we're not doing the hempcrete because we're not allowed to do hempcrete, right? It's got to have this Portland cement component to it. So what we've been doing is in these bottom hole plugs, if you can envision a straw going down from the surface, let's say it goes down 2000 feet or so. And for the listeners, if you then say, let's take 200 feet from the bottom, and let's plug that. That may be where the geology that we were extracting oil and gas from is coming from. So there's about a 200 foot zone out of a 2000 foot vertical length wellbore. And what we do in that 200 feet of cement is incorporate and we're slowly increasing the amount of hemp herd that we're putting into that cement because it's displacing cement. So whenever we can displace or avoid the use of a high carbon type material, then we're creating a, a negative against the overall output of CO2E in that project. So the more we can avoid, the better we are doing in getting to a carbon neutral plug job. And that's really the big push for OEP and our sister company, OFX Solutions, which is the boots on the ground company in Louisiana. I'm partners with Don Boyder, She's the founder and uh, majority owner of, of this operating company that is entering into this space to go plug these orphan wells on behalf of the states and on behalf of oil and gas companies that are doing just their regular course of business. They have to plug these wells. So we're showing them a better way to do that by displacing the cement in our proprietary plug designs that put the hemp herd into those bottom hole plugs with the cement and displace as much as we can. We're going to continue to try and increase the amount of hemp herd that we can put into that application. We're struggling with pumping capabilities. So we are pumping Portland cement. So there is an issue with the herd absorbing up all the moisture and getting a little too gunky. So we're working through that. And that's all just the R&D aspects of it. But ultimately, we want to get as high of a ratio of hemp herd in that cement as we possibly can. Uh, and that's in that bottom hole plug. And it's on all the other plug zones that we might have to uh, plug around, meaning 
if that 2000 foot well bore went through a water table, we've got to secure that formation as well, very, very well. And that's where the other attributes of hemp herd into the cement, it makes for a better cement. It makes for a little bit more pliability in that, right? So we want to push the limits on that. We don't have many constraints in terms of the characteristics of that cement. It has, uh, depending on the type of cement, certain compression characteristics that we have to meet, minimum compression standards, but even upwards of 50% hemp herd, we're still up, <laughs> we're, we're meeting that. So there's, there's a lot of uh, optimism about how we can maximize the amount of hemp herd that go into each one of these, yeah, 3 million plus well bores, and that's just the orphan ones. We see being able to bring this into the commercial aspect too, just using LCM in in everyday applications, while that might not be creating a carbon offset for the companies, it is definitely more of a renewable product to use uh, and sustainable product to use. And if I may just take it one step further, think about this. What if we could be using hemp to remediate oil spills around areas where there are these orphaned wells? These are brown fields. They're terribly contaminated. So it is already in the works that we might be able to secure licensing uh, in Montana to begin with to farm hemp on these remediated uh, well sites to be able to remediate that soil in a first run at the very least. But then we could take that hemp and process that and put that into the hemp herd that goes right back down a well bore, right? No, it's wonderful. Like a closed loop system. I love it. Uh, totally. That. I absolutely. And you hit us with another acronym and I feverishly was Googling to, to try to come up with it. But LCM, will you share with us that particular acronym, sir? LCM stands for lost circulation material. Ah, I wonder. Okay, excellent. That so it, it is tremendous that we are so basically hemp is a twofer within uh within these wells. It it accounts as you had said in the beginning for helps with our lost circulation material. It also reduces the carbon footprint of what we are plugging. It is also, I suppose I could just keep going from there, brother. It's creating jobs, economic stimulus for farmers who are growing the hemp to be put in as a, as a, a filler or an aggregate, a compliant aggregate uh, within the existing Portland cement. So it, it's got all of those purposes. It does indeed. Absolutely. And that's where that's, that's just in this plugging application. Uh, we do believe its absorptive qualities might uh, suit the industry uh, from an absorbent application. We think there's ways to incorporate biochar with hemp herd in a mulch type application as a prophylactic around these wells before we fill them in with the soil. We'll usually dig out uh, about five feet of soil from the wellbore, cut off that wellbore there, put a cement plate on it. That's where the plug goes. But we're actually envisioning putting, if there were any any leaks or emissions from that plug job that to have around that in some radius of six to eight, maybe 10 feet, uh, kind of a pro prophylactic carbon sink area that is hemp herd from an absorbent and also biochar from a carbon sink. So uh, we see being able to incorporate that in a lot of different ways from a remediation perspective. 
uh, and then go go back to native native lands, native grasslands, and and the carbon sink aspect of these areas that are kind of off limits for a while anyway. We think there's some merit to looking at how we might be able to incorporate the agricultural carbon uh, capture aspects and carbon credits from that as well. So we're not the only ones looking at this, but there's not that many at the moment. It's definitely emerging and and working with a lot of different groups on uh, the methodologies that are needed to make this globally accepted and the accountability of how we're tracking that carbon that is being put into or sunk into these well bores is something that's in the process right now. Um, the hemp herd, we've yet to find where there is a life cycle assessment in this type of an application that would qualify us to get a credit for the carbon being sequestered, but within 12 to 24, we think we can get to that, right? So we're going to be working on that pretty diligently. And uh, yeah, I mean, car the carbon content of, of hemp herd is somewhere in that 50 to at 40 to 60% range. So it works great in that regard. It works as that lost circulation material. So from a renewable perspective, we want to go about doing that, right? And running at that. There's there's waddling that is absorbent booms that are used in the oil and gas industry. And many times that's sawdust and straw and hay and things of that nature, right? Uh, but hemp herd could definitely fit into that application, we think. So there's just a lot of uh, avenues to go down that path. So all of that is tied to the Offset Energy Partners, our role in this industry and in this mission of plugging these wells and, and helping the states with their orphan problem, as well as the industry at large, is to create a distribution of these different materials, as we all know in the industry here, for hemp anyway, uh, and what was so wonderful about the IND event was bringing the leaders together in addressing infrastructure and how do we get the processing part uh, scaled to where we can meet the demands of industry like this. We might be putting 2,000, 4,000 pounds of herd down every one of the wells that we do. We've already got 200 wells that we could be plugging here in the next 12 months. That's, that's a pretty decent amount of herd. Like, where are we going to get that from? So we're blessed to be uh, affiliated with IND and uh, other sources across the country from a logistics perspective to help us with that piece. But we expect to be growing that a lot. We hope to be growing that an awful lot and that demand for the, the hemp herd and other aspects of it. Absolutely. As we discuss oftentimes, and was certainly the, the foundational underpinning of our summit at IND is how do we create these products, feed these manufacturing facilities when we don't have the infrastructure to process the raw materials, and yet we do one foot in front of the other, IND being such a great part of that in terms specifically of being the infrastructure to process the longest, strongest stock in the world, that outer bass fiber and that inner woody core herd, which is forming the, the subject of what we're talking about today with Offset Energy Partners. Now, of, of course, there are lots of reasons to choose hemp from a carbon perspective. You've explained many of them. Additionally, and one of the incredible reasons why hemp is the cellulose for hempcrete, why aren't we using wood cellulose? Why aren't we using, I mean, and our, our folks, we have wonderful friends in Mexico who are using, of course, local sustainable things like coconut shells and calling it cococrete. So there are all kinds of things that we can use, but in hempcrete, why is that such the perfect marriage of this particular type of hydrated high calcium lime and hemp? is because hemp is actually pretty high in silica and silica bonds 
uh, to that lime. So when we talk about offset energy partners or we talk about Portland cement, which is lime and which needs to bond, I think that silica content is probably um, another reason why. I'm so excited for you folks to to work out that absorption stuff through your R&D. It happens to us in the hempcrete world as well, where if we were to take the slurry of the lime and the water uh, and just, you know, throw the hemp in there, um, we can upset the setting and the mix a little bit because that hemp is so absorbable that it's going to absorb some of that water in the slurry, thus taking it away from its correct ratio with the lime itself. So we tend to wet the the, uh, hemp a little bit first. So it doesn't absorb so much of the water from that slurry, these types of things. But why um, any other reasons that Offset Energy Partners has has chosen hemp? Obviously, the carbon is huge. I'm assuming that's primary. But any other reasons that uh, came into your calculus in making that decision? Uh, Well, I've been a part of the industry for a good four to six years, cannabis and hemp both, uh, and having multi-generational farming in my family, uh, it's about the farmers as much as anything, that this is a fabulous crop that can do so much. So it really is a passion about the hemp plant itself and cannabis, its sister, if you will. But yeah, hemp and our hemp farming communities uh, hold a lot of promise. We can rotate better, we can just do better um, multi-crop agricultural efforts and rejuvenated agriculture. Uh, I think when you start seeing the carbon markets again, bringing that to this component in this industry is critical. There is no better plant for sequestering carbon than hemp, right? So we get a good acre of hemp. All right, we get the soil loaded up over a while. That's, That's a big hot topic right now. How can we sequester carbon in our soils? How can we know that it's durable, that it's there, that it's worth paying money for that carbon that we sequestered? And we'll figure all that out, I believe. But what we know right now is there's no better plant to be growing on an annual basis to put carbon into the soil than hemp. And if we can then figure out all the other processing applications and and build that takeaway demand has been a big part of a lot of different things that I've been involved with and trying to build out that infrastructure. We got to pull the demand. We've got to get the pull built and finding uh, ways to incorporate hemp byproducts at large, I think is, uh, is a worthy mission. And one I've been a part of for a few years, just quietly. And this one's, I think, going to be pretty important. So I'm proud to be a part it, of it. Very important. It just absolutely lit me up as I began to learn about this endeavor uh, that you're involved in when we got to commune with one another in Montana. And then, of course, we could speak all day about how what a fantastic crop it is, not just for carbon, obviously, for rotation. We're watching these larger yields and the other crops that are following hemp, I mean, over and over again. And we will get there. More research, one foot in front of the other with academia, stakeholders, nonprofits, activists, advocates, all working together to deliver on that promise. Could you tell us a little bit about the infrastructure bill and how that affects uh, this need for these orphaned orphaned oil wells? I can touch on it. Uh, I'm not the policy wonk that you might be, but (laughs) nonetheless, what we know is that out of this, what is 
approximately a trillion dollar infrastructure bill that just made it through the Senate is that we've got about 21 billion allocated to Brownfield's coal uh, mine remediation and orphan well remediation. So where does that go? How does that get allocated? Uh, the current belief is that those are going to be grants to the states. The states independently will warrant those or issue those grants to operators that they have vetted and approved to look after this really important job of managing this money properly uh, and getting it to plugging the wells and not just into the hands of the industry to go run it down and do some other things. So there has been an awful lot of work done on the policy side of things in different states. Louisiana in particular has uh, a particular uh, oversight body that was created just to make sure that they as a state are in the their efforts doing the best job that they can and allocating and doing the most with those dollars that they possibly can. Well, what we know is there's roughly $2 billion being allocated to Louisiana. And a few of the challenges that we have in addressing this larger global problem is employment, just like we have in all the other industries that we're struggling with right now. So as an anecdotal, Last year, Louisiana struggled to put $15 million to work. They didn't have mm. enough crews addressing orphan wells to even put $15 million to earth is what I've been told. Please don't hold me to that specific statistic. But they've got to put $25 million to work in 2022. So there is a huge need and a huge amount of capital if the average cost to plug these older orphan wells is roughly around twenty dollars to $25,000. There's a lot of wells that we can plug with that capital, right? And that's where it's as much of a, um, it's awesome what we're doing for the environment, but my word, what we can do for employment and just overall economic incentives that can feed into education and the circular nature of so many different aspects of this, because we need employment in not only the traditional well services, the, the individuals that are in the field working the machinery to put the cement down that well bore, it's a tough, hard job. And it's a, it's a blue collar job, but it can be a really good paying job. And what we see with all of this in collaboration, if you will, is an ability to really have an economic impact as much as an environmental impact. And in doing that, an educational impact. We can be educating a workforce to be approaching this industry as it really is, a completely new subset of the old oil and gas industry. Well, the industry at large, love them or hate them, I know there's a lot of debate around it, is so responsible for employment that we we devastate so many other areas of our economies if we were to just shut it down. So we've got to figure out ways to pivot that employment. And this is one of the ways that we're super excited about educating to the reclamation uh, and remediation aspects of the industry uh, as a really broad umbrella over what we're doing. That is what OFX is doing is the remediation and, and reclamation of these sites. Well, yeah, we're plugging a well at the same time. Oh, but we're also doing carbon capture, carbon sequestration, carbon avoidance, we're creating carbon credits for a market that is emerging. Well, that's going to employ people as the emerging market uh, takes off and really becomes solidified. So there's just a, a lot of circularity to this that we're really excited about how it all can tie together. And that is, to your point, hemp farmer to hemp herd 
to plugging a well, employing those employees that are plugging that well, to remediating that soil, to growing more hemp to remediate it, to bring it right back to IND to process it, to put, yeah. So it's uh, it's really fun. And throw biochar into the mix. I know this is hemp <laughs> barons, but wow, same same effort with biochar, frankly, in that we can be utilizing biochar and all of its new uh, applications and old applications like water treatment plants are utilizing specific biochars to capture PFAS and particular contaminants. So where do you go with that PFAS? Well, and, and also, brother, I mean, the research being done on hemp cellulosis biochar. I mean, we are talking right. about next level stuff and and the colleagues that we got to spend time with your colleagues in Montana and I'm embarrassed because one of them I knew and I just name is escaping me right now and we of course had jointly know Howard Sprouse who is just a biochar expert here in Washington state but he's basically an international biochar expert um and I've had him speak at various hemp events that I've had in the past particularly hemp and permaculture because these discoveries around cannabis or hemp, it's this genus, uh, cellulose for biochar are pretty tremendous. We've even seen um, some initial research that depending on how hot, you, how much you heat that, that hemp to create the biochar, you can actually dial in certain nutrient needs. I mean, we're learning all kinds of stuff about this. So I imagine at some point you'll be using hemp biochar as well. That's a goal. It's a goal. I mean, think about all the spent biomass we have, right? After we go through extraction. Now, extraction through ethanol, you can't put into a paralysis machine, but nonetheless, those are nuances. Bad. We'll figure it out. We'll uh, get no, it figured there, out. Amen. <laughs> there's a tremendous opportunity with hemp uh, bio waste, I think, in just that application. Because one of the bigger pieces we have to struggle with is input costs, right? So I've got to convince on the traditional side of the industry, why am I going to spend an extra $5,000 per wellbore? Well, let me tell you why. Optics, doing the right thing, not just buying a carbon offset, you're actually reducing your carbon footprint. So that in and of itself should be a 10x multiple on the dollar you'd spend for buying a carbon offset that you could crow about, right? So we think there's a definite justification for an increased price to put these higher uh, carbon content materials down the wellbore. But when you start thinking about all those other cascading uh, applications and where we can get to uh, all the other use ends uh, that could be, yeah, here's waste byproduct that is hemp biochar used in some remediation capacity. And now what do we do with that waste? Well, let's put that carbon down a wellbore and sequester it. Where is that contaminated material any more secure than in a cemented hole in geologic structure that isn't involving water tables, just to be clear? We wouldn't want to do that with any infrastructure that has water tables uh, involved. But that closed loop, we can, yeah, we could take the hemp herd process that waste. It's so promising. It just lights me up that all of this is going on and, and going on basically right in the wake of the legalization of hemp and it taking and reclaiming its place in the broad light of day. Absolutely. Now, may I ask you this as we as we come to a close in our interview here, brother, is there anything that you wish that I would have asked you that I didn't ask you or something important you want to make sure you tell the listeners before we part and have you back on again in the future? 
Uh, appreciate that. Um, I, I very much enjoyed the time. I think we've covered an awful lot of really important aspects of what it is that OEP, Offset Energy Partners, is focused on. We really are trying to and a welcoming of any experts that might have ideas and other ways of incorporating hemp and other biomass materials that are uh, renewable and high carbon content potentially to provide input, feedback, guidance. Uh, we are not full of ourselves. We are building something that never has been built in this regard. So we're very humble in that and are uh, so thankful for your support and others that uh, know a lot more about the plant and its properties than we do. And uh, together we can go crush it, I think. Crushing it, brother. It takes a village, and it's so wonderful. And Indeed. Folks, go to podconnects.com, P-O-D-C-O-N-X.com, and see how you can get in touch with Offset Energy Partners um, and the different assets that we have here for this episode with Mark and Offset Energy Partners. So grateful for the important work that you do, the passion in which you do it, brother, and I'm really looking forward to our next encounter. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Thank you, Joy. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi. My name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.